So settle yourselves in to a comfortable meditation seat on the chair or on a couch or on a cushion on the floor. Looks like everybody's inside today. Maybe some people might be outside and I just don't see it. You're welcome to be inside or outside. For concentration practice, which is what we're going to be exploring with our mini retreat today, it's it's less distracting to be inside. <laughs> but if you want to sit outside, you can try it. You might find yourself wanting to move in for the second set. Maybe not. So sitting comfortably. And please, everyone, mute yourself. Please mute, mute the sound in your computer. It makes it easier for everyone if you're muted. There'll be an opportunity to speak uh, later on in our mini retreat. But right now, for our practice, our meditation practice, and during the Dhamma talk, it's best that you mute yourself, please. I'll be offering a guided sit. And that will be followed by a short period of uh, walking practice or stretching, or if you need to use the bathroom, you can do that, of course. And then I will offer a uh, Dhamma reflection. And then we will do another sit, a shorter sit with just some brief instructions. And then we will have time for uh, questions and sharing of practice uh, uh, discussion. So beginning our mini retreat this morning, this afternoon or this evening, depending where in the world you are. Some people it's evening and some people it's morning and some people it's the afternoon. Beginning our mini retreat with a guided sit. And we'll focus on the development of samatha or concentration, tranquility, And as the Tibetans call it, calm abiding meditation, which is synonymous with the development, all of these experiences or or terms and uh, experiences are uh, synonymous with the development and the practice of concentration. 
with tranquility being an unperturbed, calm, peaceful, and lucid state of mind, which is attained by strong mental concentration. It's important to keep the mind and the heart bright and spacious so that there aren't any struggles anywhere. So again, finding an appropriate posture, meditation posture, sitting on the floor in a chair, couch, where bodily discomfort doesn't exist, or at least it's minimal. Struggling with body pain isn't really a struggle worth engaging in with this practice, this samatha practice. It keeps the attention rooted on a gross level. So right now, take just a couple of moments to do a body scan in your sitting posture. This can help you to uh, relax in a more, more, practice in a more relaxed manner. A body scan from head to toe, toe to head. And relaxing as you go through the body. Mindfully attentive, moving through the body. Once we begin with a more specific guidance, we'll begin by gently making a simple and a very clear intention to make the breath, the touch sensations of the breath, your focus of attention. This is the practice of anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. And it asks us to develop the ability to stay with the object of attention, with the breath being the initial ongoing object. So this is where we will be focusing our attention. It's the first step and basically the most important step. And for many people, maybe even most people, at least at the beginning of Samatha practice, it's the most difficult step of this practice. Applying the attention, it's called. The Pali word is vitaka. Applied thought is the actual translation. Applying the attention with a clear intention to constantly return the attention to the breath. We're paying attention to the breath in the area of the nostrils around the edges of the nostrils, the space between the nose and the upper lip, maybe along the top edge of the upper lip. And I know some of you are very 
uh, habituated to paying attention to the breath in the belly, the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly. You can do that if you'd like to. I'd also encourage you to try this today to give attention to what's called the Anapana spot. This area around the edges of the nostrils, between the nose, upper lip, and along the up, top edge of the upper lip. The development of concentration is actually hindered by getting stuck and identified with uh, attachment to any bodily or mental experience, whether it's a pleasant experience or an unpleasant experience. So as we practice together today, no matter what else arises in consciousness through any of the six sense doors, we'll practice with this simple intention to not dwell anywhere, but with the touch sensations of the in and the out breath. So allowing yourself to enter into this experiment, if you will, with practicing this way, this this approach to developing concentration. It's actually very simple. Very simple, direct, and potentially a very powerful practice. Though while it's simple, it's not always so easy. And it's a very valuable and actually essential basis essential aspect of vipassana practice, mindfulness-based insight practice. As well as a practice that can certainly stand alone as a very powerful and beautiful way of developing the mind. This is a practice of a deep and eventually a profound letting go, not clinging, not pushing away, but just very simply recognizing what's happening and very simply, gently letting go. Which means not being attached or averse to anything. Even the silence and also the other conditions within you and around you not being attached or averse to any experiences that come in through any of the six sense doors, which includes any results or fruits of of concentration practice that show up. With each of the six sense doors, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and mind, the mind door, thought, and all of the sensory information that comes to and through each of these sense doors. With this practice of developing concentration, the intention is to let go and just simply return to the breath. Let go and relax, and just simply return to the breath with an interested, bright, and relaxed energy 
and attention. This applied thought or vitaka practice or or aspect of this practice, it may need to occur many times within a sit as we learn, as we train the mind to bring the attention to a connected one-pointed focus. Great patience is called for with this practice. Cultivating Learning patience is an ongoing and uh, primary quality of mind and heart that happens with concentration practice, with samatha practice. And there are two other qualities I want to mention, qualities of mind and heart that this practice calls for and that are also developed through this practice. And they're both very important. Relaxation, and wise effort. A true relaxation has absolutely nothing to do with lethargy or laziness. A true relaxation is an alert ease in body and mind. And this quality of wise effort with this bright and relaxed interest, making an effort in your practice, but not a tight, tense over-efforting. Both striving and lethargy will actually prohibit. It won't allow the development of concentration and tranquility. It's kind of like tuning a guitar. If the strings are too loose, the music will be out of tune. If the strings are too tight, they break. And in either case, we can't play. We can't play the beautiful music of our concentration practice. So just as any musician does, we need to tune up regularly, recognizing if its effort is too tight or too loose. So keeping it very simple. This practice of staying with the breath at the touching point or the anapana spot as it brushes and touches either the the top of the upper lip, the space between the nose and the lip or right around the nostrils. You can also Give your attention to the rising and falling movement in the belly if that's such a strong habit for you. And with this practice, we need to be willing to let go of thought. So the practice is to just briefly, lightly recognize that thought's occurring. And that's then just simply let it go. Gently let it go with the intention to not dwell anywhere except with the breath sensations at the touching point. 
and we need to remain clear and firm, but not tight with this intention in relationship to this practice. So now we'll just take a moment to gently make a simple, clear intention to make the touch sensations of the breath your focus of attention. So silently within yourself, gently make this intention. It's not a a harsh order. It's a gentle, sincere intention. And now bringing the attention to the breath sensation at the small space between the upper lip and the edge of the nostril, or bringing the attention to the breath sensations just below the nose or at the edges of the nostrils or at the top of the upper lip. Find your place, your place of attention somewhere in this area. The place where at this point you're most easily able to notice and feel the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. And they will be subtle. Don't try to breathe strongly so they're more stronger or more overt. Paying attention to breath in this area asks us from the right from the get-go to be more concentrated because of the subtlety of the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. So relaxed, focused, interested. At this point, let the noticing be a general noticing keeping the attention clear and connected, but at the same time soft and relaxed at what is the Anapana spot or the touching point. No hurry here. Take your time. You have all the time you need.
if it's helpful. At times you can reconnect briefly and gently with your intention to learn this practice, your intention to learn this healing and beautiful practice. And now mindfulness primarily of the sensations of the in-breath at your touching point. getting to know the sensations of the in-breath. The simple and subtle sensations of an in-breath. And now mindfulness primarily of the sensations of the out-breath 
at the touching point. what is probably quite subtle sensation of the opera at the touching point. Staying relaxed, receptive, interested, getting to know the sensations of an outbreath at the touching point. And now mindfulness of both the in and the out breath sensations at the touching point. Don't follow the breath up into the nose or into the body or through the body or out of the body. As this will keep you from perfecting your concentration. So keeping it very, very simple. Staying with the breath at the touching point as it brushes or touches either the top of the upper lip, the space between the nose and the upper lip, or around the nostrils. This is what will enable you to move towards perfecting your concentration. 
in relationship to <clears throat> thinking and wandering mind. This is a practice of a deep and eventually profound letting go. So again, not clinging and not pushing away, but just very simply recognizing what's happening and very simply letting go, which means not being attached and not being averse to anything. any of the physical or mental phenomena that's occurring within you, as well as the various other conditions around you. And very important, also not being attached or averse to any results or fruits of concentration that show up. We notice mindfully what's occurring and we notice it with no attachment and no identification. It's very useful, very helpful now and ongoing throughout the practice to guard the sense doors, meaning to absorb only a minimum of sensory impressions. And this isn't always so easy, as you certainly may have strong habits of looking for and letting in many many sensory impressions in your life. In relationship to this practice of concentration, the importance of guarding the sense doors is that it cuts down the nutriments for thinking and the nutriments for getting caught by or dwelling in thought. I can assure you that the development and the strengthening and the deepening of concentration will be nurtured through practicing this way. So we engage in this practice in a more cloistered way 
then we may have practiced meditation previously. And it's very worthwhile. It's a very worthwhile experiment. When you notice that the developing concentration is starting to crumble around the edges or that it's fading into wandering mind or you notice that the focus of attention has been totally lost. With gentleness and the kindness of a patient heart Just simply renew your intention to come back to the breath, to focus with connection and with clarity, and at the same time with a relaxed attention to the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath at the touching point.
At times the mind might easily get tired during the early stage of this practice. Even though it's such a simple practice, it takes considerable effort. If the mind gets too tired, then the practice becomes a struggle and it won't be successful. So it's important to keep the energy balanced, bright, light, and high in order to stay out of the realm of struggle. Some people have such a long and strong habit of struggle that it may at first be even hard to recognize that it's unskillful and unnecessary and then to just simply let it go. But in time, with wholesome intention, wise effort, and the heart of patience and the mind and the heart of interest, the mind will learn to stay out of or learn to gently let go of struggle. So again, continuing with a one-pointed focus of attention, applying and sustaining the attention on the breath at the Anapana spot, the touching point. When the breath sensations are subtle, don't make the breath more obvious. Don't try to make the breath more obvious as this will cause agitation and your concentration won't develop. Just be aware of the breath as it is. And if it's not clear, simply wait patiently for where it was when you last noticed it. 
you'll find that as you apply your mindfulness and wisdom in this way, the breath will reappear. As concentration goes on developing, it's very natural that the breath becomes more and more and more subtle, not stronger and sharper. just before concentration starts to move into quite a very deep place. When tranquility is clear and it's sustaining, the breath may start to become very, very subtle and unclear. And sometimes people might think, even think that it's stopped. When this happens, you should keep your awareness where you last noticed the breath and just patiently wait for it there. It just means that your mindfulness is not strong enough yet for you to be aware of this very, very subtle breath at this point in your practice. Keeping the mind, the heart, bright and spacious, receptive and relaxed. Keeping it simple. Staying with the breath at the touching point. Practicing with the simple intention to not dwell anywhere other than with the touch sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath at the touching point.
May all of the wholesome energies and the fruits that manifest through our practice serve with immeasurable impartiality, without bias, without prejudice, towards the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings everywhere. So we'll take uh, take 10 minutes now. I will ring the bell. So you can't go too far away from where you can hear me because <laughs> we're not in the same room, obviously. Uh, I will ring the bell in 10 minutes to come back together. It's time to do 10 minutes of walking meditation or if you need to use the bathroom, of course, that. You need to get a drink of water or tea, that's fine as well. Keep the silence, even though you're maybe not in a silent place. <laughs> Try to keep the silence. And uh, I'd like to give some very brief instructions for walking practice for this particular practice. It's different than what some of you know with Vipassana practice. The emphasis with this concentration practice is sitting, but walking practice is important. And it helps to eliminate the mental factors that hinder the development of concentration. Walking can also help to encourage the development of concentration, actually. It refreshes the mind. One of the most important aspects of walking practice with, with samatha practice, with concentration practice, is that it refreshes the mind and the body. So we do an easy, relaxed, medium, slow pace of walking. We do not do the very, very slow, deliberate walking that we do with Vipassana practice or that some of you do with the kind of Vipassana practice that you do. So an easy, relaxed, medium, slow pace. And it's also important as you're doing your walking practice to keep the attention on the breath at your anapana spot, but not rigidly. So it will be a lot uh, softer than when you're sitting. But you do continue to keep your primary attention on your breath at the anapana spot. And recognizing when thoughts come, when there's a proliferation of thought, and just let it go. So again, an, a, an easy, relaxed, medium, slow pace of walking. So enjoy your walking practice. Uh, enjoy your bathroom practice <laughs> and your cup of tea or glass of water, whatever it might be. And uh, I'll ring the bell in uh, 10 minutes. You can also do some stretching practice, slow, medium, slow stretching, mindfully present with your breath continuing to be a primary focus of attention. If you choose to do some stretching practice, that's fine as well.
So I think we're all back. It's hard to tell <laughs> because we're in so many different places. So I'll begin with the, our, our uh, Dhamma reflection for uh, today. And beginning with uh, Three Pali words, and I'll translate them, of course. Sila, Samadhi, and Panya. And the translation is Sila, virtue or ethical behavior. Panya, or Samadhi, concentration. Or Samatha in Pali, concentration, Samadhi in Sanskrit. And Panya, wisdom. Over his 45 years of teaching, the Buddha spoke many, many times about these three particular aspects of mind being the essential and indispensable basis of his own practice. So virtue, concentration, and wisdom. These form the three branches of mental development that are essential to all forms, actually essential to all schools of Buddhist practice. The development and the combination of the first two of these qualities or these capacities of mind and heart, virtue and concentration, are what lead one into vipassana, the deeply penetrative understanding that comes through the direct meditative experience of the various insights that show up. And I think each of you know concentration or samatha, or samadhi, plays a very important part in the Buddhist teachings. It's one of the seven factors of enlightenment. Those are mindfulness, investigation, effort, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Concentration is also one of what are called the five controlling faculties, or the five spiritual powers. And these are faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. The Buddha commented that the practice, insight practice, or vipassana practice, that without the support of samatha, without the support of concentration, it's like sending a minister out to negotiate with bandits, he said, without the protection of a bodyguard. 
So in order to see the true nature of existing phenomena, we need to purify the mental cloudiness. We need to part the veil, so to say, untangle the tangle that keeps us from seeing it. And this occurs through the practices of sila, samatha, samadhi, and panya, all of which are rooted in mindfulness. In speaking with one of his chief disciples, Ananda, the Buddha had a conversation with Ananda, and Ananda asks the Buddha a question, and the Buddha responds. Ananda says, what is the purpose of skillful virtues? What's their reward? And the Buddha responds to Ananda. He says, skillful virtues have freedom from remorse as their reward as their purpose, excuse me, freedom from reward, remorse as their purpose, Ananda, and freedom from remorse as their reward. And then he goes on and he says, freedom from remorse has joy as its purpose, joy as its reward. Joy has rapture as its purpose, rapture as its reward. Rapture has serenity as its purpose, serenity as its reward. Serenity has pleasure as its purpose, pleasure as its reward. Pleasure has concentration as its purpose, concentration as its reward. Concentration has knowledge and vision of things as they actually are as its purpose. Knowledge and vision of things as they actually are as its reward. And the Buddha says, In this way, Ananda, skillful virtues lead step by step to the consummation of liberation from suffering. Lead lead to the end, the consummation of the end of suffering. In speaking to his monks and nuns directly about his own process and his own experience, the Buddha said, it's owing to the development of virtue, concentration, and wisdom that enlightenment or awakening has been fully realized. So today, taking a look at the active force of samatha, the active force of concentration, this unperturbed, peaceful, and lucid state of mind attained by the practice and the process of strong mental concentration. This process of gathering in, gathering together the energy, the potentially powerful energy of the mind, which for most of us is quite often quite dispersed. We could say that the initial act of concentration is that of reining the mind in from all of its many, many distractions and learning how to focus it by coming back and back again and again to the simple present so that our mental and our physical energy isn't being used up, isn't being usurped in unconscious and unskillful ways. The notion of developing the mind really lies at the heart of all Buddhist traditions. 
And one important aspect of this, of this particular development, has to do with strengthening our ability to focus, to stabilize, and to direct the mind, direct the attention, rather than allowing it to be carried off over and over and over again by whatever breezes waft in on it from any of the sense doors or from its own unconscious. So in light of this, we can ask our, each of us can ask ourselves a question. Does your mind control you? Or do you control your mind? <laughs> Somebody, people are smiling. <laughs> so for instance, if your intention is to keep the attention on the breath, but the mind just wanders off at the slightest provocation, then that means that your ability to focus the mind isn't yet very well developed. And I have to say, one of the wonderful things about that practice offers us is that remaining focused on a chosen object is a skill that can definitely be learned, like any other skill, by practice, by patient repetition, and through gradual development. The Vesudhimaga, some of you may know of the Vesudhimaga, some of you may not. It's a profoundly detailed uh, Buddhist treatise on the process of purification, the process of the purification of the mind and heart. And it uses a number of very graphic metaphors to describe the process of this development and the act of concentration. And one of these metaphors that I particularly relate to because of my own experience uh, creating pottery uh, on a potter's wheel is this, and this comes from the Vasudhi Maga. A lump of clay sits on a spinning potter's wheel. Centering the clay, the potter brings both hands directly onto the clay, holding, staying there with a strong and relaxed focus of attention of mind and body. Staying, sustaining attention and energy, totally undistracted as the clay is centered on the wheel. Then the potter with a continued focus of clear, connected, and relaxed attention with one hand directly on the clay, steadily holding and supporting the clay, the other hand also continuing to sustain contact with the clay, which continues to be the primary object of attention. The other hand is moving back and forth, up and down, informing the clay, at the same time as being informed by it as a bowl forms. So really quite a graphic and visceral metaphor for the development and the process of concentration. Some of you may have done work on the potter's wheel yourselves or watched people doing it. So this visceral graphic metaphor with the mind and the heart learning to move in a focused experience of deepening concentration. 
the power of a clear, relaxed, and focused mind, a concentrated mind, brings together, brings itself together and re-stimulates itself again and again and again. It re-stimulates the energy and the effort needed for the next moment of continuing the process of its own development. So we could say that a concentrated mind feeds itself, strengthening its ability to stay present with its, the object of attention and not attach itself to other things. It's just where it is, pure, clear, and calm. And it's quite an energizing, refreshing, and potentially beautiful experience. Because our exploration today is devoted to this purifying and beautiful current, we could say, of samatha, of concentration, I think it would be helpful for us to explore and to learn a little bit more about the basis, the process, and the fruits of concentration. And a quote from B. Allen Wallace, who is a Tibetan Buddhist teacher who teaches concentration. He says, like a telescope launched into orbit beyond the distortions of the Earth's atmosphere, Samatha meditation provides a platform for exploring the deep space of the mind. The wholesome states that accompany the development of concentration are these, Calm, joy, tranquility, happiness, contentment, peace, and equanimity. And these wholesome states can't grow when the unwholesome states of mind of attachment, aversion, sleepiness, agitation, worry, and doubt are occurring. So seeing and understanding the difference between wholesome and unwholesome states of mind is really essential for the development and the blossoming of concentration and its attendant wholesome states. So, for instance, if you try to concentrate on a meditation subject, such as the sensations of the in and the out breath at the Anapana spot, or the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly, and you're anxious, you're worried, or maybe you're filled with expectation during this process. Calm and joy will be prevented from arising. Why is this? Well, worry and expectation enslave us. With the practice of concentration, we need to be willing to let go of thought, meaning to not be seduced by thoughts. We need to be willing to cut through thoughts, so to say, even thoughts that might seem so really, really important in any given moment. It's important to note here that this is not about kicking out thoughts. Very important. It's not about kicking out thoughts. Booting out thought is rooted in an attitude of aversion to thought, 
And that is not what we're doing. We're not averse to thought. What is meant here is rooted in the clarity of intention. Seeing and knowing when one's attention gets muddled or gets lost in something other than what's intended. And this is really the first and maybe the most important, and as I uh, implied earlier, maybe the most difficult step of the practice of the development of concentration. Because the mind can get lost, as we all know, in myriad mundane and also seemingly lofty thoughts and actions, thinking that whatever it is, is really, really important. I had uh, such an experience during a three-month retreat many years ago that was devoted to the development of concentration that I was sitting with my teacher, Venerable Pawak Sayadaw. For the first week of that retreat, each day after lunch, I would make myself a very fancy cup of tea by taking two or three different loose teas and mixing them together in a tea ball. It seemed like it was such an important and such a necessary treat that I really needed. I certainly wanted it, but I also thought I really needed it. Well, towards the end of that week, I noticed a box of tea bags sitting on the counter right in front of me that was one of the same teas that I was putting into my fancy tea mix. It was there all along, but the mind hadn't connected with it at all with any clear awareness until that very moment. And then the thought popped up, do I really need this? Is all this fancy tea preparation and seeming need, is this really, really important? Well, very quickly, the answer came, no. No, it's, it's not important at all. It's just merely a habitual distraction. So from that day on, I just simply made a cup of tea with the tea bag and drank it with much pleasure. What happened after this what was, was, was what was really important, because quite spontaneously, at times throughout the rest of this three-month concentration retreat, the question would come up, is this really important? And it would come up in relationship to various mundane actions, in a relationship to various thoughts and thought patterns. And the answer was almost always, if not pretty much 100% of the time, quite clearly, and then more and more obviously, no. And I would just then simply let go of whatever it was at that point. So again, the development of a wholesome concentration requires of us that we have some insight of some depth in a growing interest and understanding regarding the difference between wholesome and unwholesome states of mind. And one of the most wonderful and really amazing fruits that inevitably occurs through the process of developing concentration and mindfulness is that the mind and the heart are continually being purified from various permutations of greed, aversion, lethargy, restlessness, and doubt. 
these experiences that are classically called the hindrance, hindrances in the Buddhist teachings. Classically, the development of concentration is described as the purification of the mind. And again, as the Buddha said, the mind is developed. Samatha, or the development of common concentration, seriously weakens all of the hindrances, these unwholesome states of mind. In the moments when calm and joy and tranquility, blissful happiness, contentment, peace, and equanimity, these fruits of concentration are clearly manifesting, unwholesome mind states are at that those at those moments temporarily completely eliminated. And they're also considerably weakened over the long term, particularly as one's concentration develops and deepens. So I'd like to take a, a bit of a look with you now at how the different factors of a growing and deepening concentration quite specifically address different states of mind and body that can hinder the development of concentration and that also hinder the blossoming of insight. To begin with, overall calm and the development of a more tranquil body and mind is an antidote for feeling perturbed, obviously. Calm and tranquility free the mind, free the heart from impurities and inner obstacles. And this gives the mind a greater, much greater penetrative strength. The mental state of initially applying the attention, initially applying the mind, aiming and applying the attention again and again to the object, and the Pali word for this is vitaka, and then eventually establishing the attention, establishing the mind on an object, such as the sensations of the in and the out breath at the Anapana spot, this eventually temporarily eliminates dullness, sleepiness, stiffness. The sustained application of the mind, meaning the continuous sustained attention on the object, such as a breath, the Pali word for this is vichara, this eventually temporarily eliminates uncertainty and doubt within the practice, and it weakens these afflictive states of mind to some degree overall. The deeply concentrated and mindful state of joyful zest, a kind of bright happiness and elation in the mind resulting from the developing focus and purity of the heart and mind. And the Pali word for this is piti. This brings a very delighted interest in and liking for the object of attention, such as the breath. Some of you may have experienced that today. And with the development and a deepening concentration, this results in various degrees of piti, often with physical sensations such as maybe tingling or vibration, especially at first. And with this, 
ill will is temporarily inhibited. As we continue with this process of the development of the mind through the practice and the development of concentration, this concentrated state of bliss, contentment, a sweet, easeful happiness, and the Pali word for this is sukha, which in its maturity is actually not a pleasant bodily feeling, but a blissful, contented mental experience. When this occurs to varying degrees through our deepening concentration, restlessness, agitation, regret, and worry are eventually temporarily eliminated and weakened on through time. And lastly, the steady undistracted attention of the one-pointed focus of a deepening concentration, and the Pali word for this is ikagata. This occurs to varying degrees during the development stages of concentration and the development of mindfulness. This one-pointed focus of attention is the experience of a clear, strong, and pervasive energetic centeredness, balance, and equanimity. And during this time, during this time of, 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 of this one-pointed focus of ikagata, sensuous desire for anything is temporarily inhibited. It's at bay at this point. As samatha, as concentration develops and as it moves along, the states that corrupt the natural purity and the natural luminosity of the mind and heart, when at least some of these imperfections, these afflictive states, which also include clinging and self-identification to pleasant experience and other habitual states of mind, which can also include and do also include various aspects of aversion, such as worry or fear. When at least some of this has been very clearly let go of, has been temporarily abandoned, has been temporarily relinquished, at that time one really truly knows and gains a much, much fuller and deeper confidence in and connection to one's own practice. And when this confidence arises, the mind and heart often experience great inspiration and enthusiasm and appreciation, often connected to the Buddha, connected to the Buddha's teachings, and connected to the community of practitioners, the Sangha and also to one's own particular teacher, if one does have a specific teacher. As awakening beings, when we begin to directly experience and know ourselves as 
purified of unwholesome states, when we directly experience and know ourselves as at least partially liberated from them, a great and wholesome gladness and gratitude is born in us. With the blossoming and the maturing of this gladness and gratitude, a joyful zest and a taste and the taste of a wholesome elation, which is sometimes defined as, as rapture, is born in us. With this joy and the knowing of it, without any attachment or personal identification in those moments, the body and the mind eventually become very tranquil. With the maturing of tranquility, both the more overt and the subtle bodily and mental disturbances that are connected with gladness and joy are removed. They disappear within the calm and the quiet of tranquility. They disappear with the serene pleasure of tranquility. When we experience tranquility, we experience pleasure. And when pleasure is felt without any attachment, is felt without any identification in those moments, the mind is then prepared for deeper concentration. And of course, the whole process must be accompanied by a connected, non-analytical, sustained, mindful presence. Another way of, of saying this is that a deeply concentrated mind is a purified mind, which opens the heart to wholesome gladness and gratitude with no attachment. This brings the serene pleasure of tranquility, which is the ground for deepening concentration. And on and on it goes. Consequently, at this point, the mind and the heart are very, very strong. And so, in this light, the skill that's being developed is one's ability to resist or deflect, we could say, the influence of raga. Raga being the Pali word that's literally translated as unwholesome passion. And it's often used synonymously with greed, with unwholesome desire, with craving, attachment, and clinging, all of which are the core cause of our human suffering. At the time of the Buddha, an analogy was often used regarding this aspect of the development of the mind. And this was the effectiveness, effectiveness of a well-thatched roof. The effectiveness of a well-thatched roof lies in its ability to deflect moisture and to protect the contents of the house from getting soaked. With the analogy being that a well-developed mind will be aware of an unwholesome thought or emotion that has arisen. 
or will be aware of a maybe a provocative sense input, but will allow these to roll off the mind and not penetrate immediately, immediately into the following mind moments to drench the mind with clinging or with aversion. A similar image often used was that of water rolling off a lotus leaf or water rolling off the feathers of a duck. As concentration develops, slowly we gain the wisdom and the confidence to allow ourselves to wholeheartedly meet experience with no self, so to say. No me, no I am. While at the same time being very clearly present and mindfully aware of just what's taking place. But with no pondering, no commentary, no thinking about what's occurring, and very important, not making something out of the experience, but rather receiving, sensing, seeing, and knowing experience just as it is. So in light of this, I'd like to share a simple and potentially illuminating story with you about two significant times and aspects of the Buddha's life. After six years of engaging in extreme austere practices and finding that in fact they weren't bringing the liberation of the heart and mind that he was seeking, it said that the Buddha Bodhisatta, he wasn't a Buddha yet, it said that the Bodhisatta Siddhartha Gautama asked himself a question. He said, could there be another path to enlightenment? In reflection with this inner questioning, an image, the memory of a particular experience from his childhood appeared to Siddhartha. He remembered a particular spring day when he was a boy of six. That morning, his father had taken him to the spring plowing festival, a time each year when the men in the community, rich and poor alike, came together for a day of plowing up the earth. It was an annual ritual marking the beginning of the spring planting season. Young Siddhartha, six-year-old Siddhartha, quite spontaneously and naturally sat up in the meditation posture comfortably and very quietly underneath a sweet-smelling rose apple tree, observing the scene that was unfolding before him with a very open, alert, and unfettered attention that children sometimes give to things. Nothing really on his mind. In those moments of not wanting or not fearing anything, he was aware of the earth breaking open in even wave-like furrows, noticing the heat shimmering up off the freshly opened soil. He was aware of the shining on the sweating faces and the straining bodies of the men and the oxen, and he noticed the flashing and sparkling of sunlight coming off shining off the bronze harnesses and the dark horns of the oxen. 
Young Siddhartha felt the plodding rhythm and the oxen's hooves of the oxen's hooves, and he heard the cowbells rolling on and on amidst the strong, sharp shouts of the men as they were working. He also clearly heard the beautiful sound of bird song, as well as the shrill cries of the birds as they dove and pecked and devoured the swarming insects and the grubs and the worms and broken bodies of the mice that were left out on the upturned earth. All of this laboring and devouring, struggling and suffering and dying, endlessly going on beneath and right along with the gaiety, the joy and the beauty of that spring festival day. All of this, all of it entered into young Siddhartha's heart and mind as he sat alone, clearly focused and deeply relaxed under the sweet smelling rose apple tree, open-heartedly experiencing the scene that was happening in front of him and in his mind and his heart, finding no resistance, no tension, no inner conflict, nothing to add and nothing to take away. As this young boy sat silently, quite still and secluded from sensual pleasures and unwholesome states of mind, taking this all in without prejudice, without attachment and finding himself all alone, he's quite spontaneously and naturally attained a deep, state of concentration and it was said to have been the first jhana through mindfulness of breathing he experienced a bright sweet pleasure a joyful happiness that wasn't born out of desire for or clinging to anything and in his young mind a very deep intuitive understanding was seated. As a young man in the midst of practicing extreme austerities in the body and then remembering this boyhood experience, the thought occurred to Siddhartha, could that be the path to enlightenment? And it's said that following on this memory from his childhood, the bodhisattva became filled with energy and a sureness that this was, in fact, a footstep on the path, a footstep on the path to liberation. And he resolved then to sit quietly and press forward in deep meditation until he reached full understanding, until he really reached true freedom. This was a turning point for the Buddha to be in his quest for awakening. It was a turning point in his quest for enlightenment, a turning point and a change in his relationship to suffering and his evaluation of pleasure. He understood that pleasant experience was no longer to be feared and banished by the practice of extreme austerities. 
at this most important point of turning in his quest for liberation, Siddhartha realized that the confusion, the misunderstanding, the delusion, the greed, anger, anguish, and hatred, all of the dark and afflictive states of mind wouldn't be, and in fact couldn't be, purified or banished or released or relinquished by creating hardship for oneself and then putting up with all of it. Or by trying to live through these hardships by stealing oneself, by hardening oneself, and then toughing it out in relationship to these self-inflicted hardships. Or by struggling, trying to trying very, very hard to let go of the painful mind states related to extreme austere practices. Or by trying to lose one's self in self-created physical and mental hardships. None of this was work will work, he realized. And if you consider your own life, how many times in small, maybe even in tiny ways or possibly in extreme ways, have you, out of ignorance or out of delusion, out of misunderstanding, been attracted to and chosen to engage in mental fantasies, various situations, activities, and spiritual practices in various relationships that created hardship or maybe a certain flavor of austerity in your life and maybe even extreme hardship or extreme austerity. So in your own way, doing just what the Buddha did and thinking just as he did that these situations, these fantasies, these activities, these practices and relationships would somehow, somehow bring a sustaining joy, happiness, and ease into your life. Potentially, a certain degree of mental strength certainly is, ga- is gained. But the light at the end of the tunnel, so to say, the light of liberation, actually can never be seen, felt, or known with this way. As a young man and remembering his childhood experiences, Siddhartha realized that pleasure was no longer to be feared and banished through the practice of extreme austerities, that it would never bring a sustaining sense of freedom and well-being. He understood that when pleasure is born internally, with a sense, with a mind and a heart that's secluded, a mind, a heart that's free from the mental and bodily hindrances of lethargy, restlessness, greed and clinging, free from the various permutations of aversion and confusion and doubt. He understood that when pleasure is born of seclusion, clear, concentrated, and mindful presence and detachment, that it's not only okay, but that it's a valuable and necessary accompaniment 
along the path to liberation. And that it in fact points to the sustaining happiness of a heart, of a mind that's no longer run by the energies of greed, clinging, fear, judgment, anger, and confusion. That in fact, it points to the sustaining happiness and ease of a heart, of a mind that's liberated, a heart, a mind that's awakened. In remembering his childhood experience, the Bodhisattva Siddhartha came to understand that the development of deep concentration is a footstep on the path to awakening, an important and useful footstep on the way to liberation. As a child, this natural state of a concentrated and undisturbed, purified mind is something that young Siddhartha wandered into, so to say. The world outside going on just as it is. Thoughts and feelings arising and changing, coming and going. No different in those moments than anything else in the world. Nothing to agree with, nothing to argue with, nothing to cling to, and nothing to push away or run from. And yet, this natural state of an undisturbed mind isn't so easy to wander into for most of us. Why? (laughs) Well, we often have a mind that's quite made up and often absolutely made up about how it's supposed to be or how it isn't supposed to be or what's good, what's bad, what we absolutely definitely know is true or isn't true. And we also often have a mind made up about what we must have or what we must not have in order to be happy and even in order to practice meditation. A mind made up a mind that clings to what it's made up. This is what prevents us actually from directly, clearly, and honestly meeting the moment that we're in. It keeps us in conflict, keeps us shut off from the vastness of possibility, keeps us shut off from the possibility of wandering into the natural state of an undisturbed mind. This is really the essential cause of our suffering and what prevents the heart, prevents the mind from calmly and peacefully, directly connecting and connecting clearly and directly with present moment experience, both internal experience and external experience. And so, as awakening beings, here we are today, all of us. More than 2,600 years after the story that I've just shared about the Buddha's life took place. And thanks to Siddhartha Gautama's very diligent and very powerful years of practice, here we are, exploring and learning from his 
direct experience and the inspired and amazing gift of clarity of his ability to pass it on to others. So in closing this Dhamma reflection today, I'd like to say that it's essential that you hold your practice in the light of honesty, humility, and a diligent, open-hearted interest, and hold yourself in your practice with deep kindness and patience. Each and all of these wholesome and very beautiful human qualities will without a doubt serve the blossoming of your practice and without a doubt are some of the basic roots and forces of purity that the fruits of our practice stem from. And I'd like to close the reflection with a poem from Mary Oliver. Uh, this poem speaks to our, our today's topic uh, in her, of course, quite unique and beautiful way. And in relationship to today's topic, it's a somewhat oblique and yet uh, a moving, quite a moving way. She titled this poem, Such Singing in the Wild Branches. It was spring. And I finally heard him among the first leaves. And then I saw him clutching the limb in an island of shade with his red-brown feathers all trim and neat for the new year. First I stood still and thought of nothing. And then I began to listen. Then I was filled with gladness. And that's when it happened, when I seemed to float to be myself a wing or a tree. And I began to understand what the bird was saying. And the sands in the glass stopped for a pure white moment while gravity sprinkled upward like rain rising. And in fact, it became difficult to tell just what it was that was singing. It was the thrush for sure. But it seemed not a single thrush, but himself and all his brothers and sisters, and also the trees around them, as well as the gliding, long-tailed clouds in the perfectly blue sky. All, all of them were singing. And of course, yes, so it seemed, so was I. Such soft, and solemn and perfect music doesn't last for more than a few moments. It's one of those magical places wise people like to talk about. One of the things they say about it that is true is that once you've been there, you're there forever. Listen, everyone has a chance. Is it spring? Is it morning? Are there trees near you? And does your own 
soul need comforting? Quick then, open the door and fly on your heavy feet. The song may already be drifting away. And let's sit quietly for just a moment. And thank you for listening to the Dhamma. And thank you for your practice. And so let's take just a couple of moments now before we go into our next sit for our mini retreat today. You can stretch, move yourself around a little bit, maybe have a little water or juice or tea. And I'll ring the bell again in about three minutes, not giving you very long, just let your body Stretch out a bit, move around, drink some water, etc. So I think we're all back. Again, it's kind of hard to tell, but it appears that way. We will do another sit together. This will be um, a 30-minute sit. Our first sit was a full hour. I don't know if you realize that, but this will be a 30-minute sit. So sit yourself comfortably in your meditation posture, chair, cushion, wherever it might be. Settling in. And we're continuing to, with our practice of Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, with the development of concentration.
sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath at the touching point, the anapana spot. Very simple, but often not so easy of a practice. And some of you may be finding it quite difficult to sustain the attention at the in and out, uh, on the in and out breath at the Anapana spot. So uh, I'd like to offer just a few possibilities for those of you that are um, finding it quite challenging. The first possibility is you could count breaths. This will help to focus the attention for those of that are having a hard time with that. You count at the end of each breath. So there's in, out, one, in, out, two, etc. Count up to five or six breaths. At the very most, eight breaths. And you make a determination that during this time, your counting time, counting the breaths, that your mind won't drift, won't go anywhere else, but just stay calmly aware, being calmly aware of the breath. You can do that a few times. It can be helpful. You can also proceed on with the development of awareness, mindful awareness of the breath and notice whether the in-breath and out-breath are long or short. No commentary, no expectation, just noticing a short in-breath, a longer out-breath. A long in-breath, a short out-breath. Whatever it might be, just simply noticing, is it long in duration or is it short in duration? Staying at the breath, with the breath at the Anapana spot. And that can be also helpful in bringing a, a, a sharper and clearer focus of attention. Another possibility for those that are having a hard time sustaining attention, helpful uh, towards sustaining a, a, a more concentrated attention, is to bring an intention to be aware of the whole breath from its very beginning, the whole in breath from its very beginning, all the way through to its very end. And then the whole out-breath from its very beginning all the way through to its end. So staying with this possibility for a while, that can be helpful. It's very important, though, with this to remember to stay relaxed. Very important not to tense up or tighten up in the process. And 
and the last practice that can help to steady the mind and heart and bring more focus and tranquility that I'd like to offer you as part of this practice is you go on being continuously aware of the breath from its beginning, beginning of in-breath all the way through the end of the in-breath, beginning of out-breath all the way through the end of the out-breath. And you have a very gentle intention to make the breath tranquil. It's very important when you do this that you don't do anything else. Otherwise, your concentration will break up and fall away. So you're continuously aware of the breath, in-breath, out-breath. The breath is clearly in mind at the touching point from its beginning to its end with the intention to make the breath tranquil. Gentle intention. So again, for those of you that have been struggling maybe a little bit with this and finding it a bit challenging, you could try any one of these and see if it's helpful. So we'll now sit together for approximately 30 minutes. It'll be a silent sit. I'm not going to speak during it. In closing the sit with some words from the Buddha. This comes from the Samyutta Nikaya Sutta number eight. Mindfulness with breathing, Anapanasati, that one has developed and made much of, has great fruit and great benefit. Even I myself, before awakening, when not yet enlightened, while still a bodhisattva, a Buddha-to-be, lived in this dwelling, this way of life, for the most part. When I lived mainly in this dwelling, the body was not stressed, the eyes were not strained, and my mind was released from the asavas, the corruptions, the cankers, through non-attachment. For this reason, should anyone wish, may my body be not stressed, may my eyes be not strained, may my mind be released from the hindrances, from unwholesome states of mind, through non-attachment, then that person ought to attend carefully in his or her mind and heart to this mindfulness of breathing meditation.
So we have time now for uh, some discussion, uh, sharing uh, your practice out loud, uh, which I will probably offer some reflection about. So a kind of group-oriented practice uh, meeting or as practice interview as some people call them, or questions, you might have some questions or just uh, anything you'd like to offer and share uh, regarding uh, your experience and keeping it rega regarding experience in the Dhamma and particularly this practice right now. So um, it's open for any of you to say what you would like. And my usual way of, uh, of, of doing this is... Uh, <laughs> It's saying it takes one courageous person to start. And then that seems to give permission to other people to also share. So if there's one or maybe two or maybe three courageous people who would like to begin, please feel free. You have to unmute yourself. And please say your name when you start to speak. Please say your name then I can locate you on the screen and others can as well. And then also you might uh, tell us where you are because people are here from all sorts of different places around the U.S. and outside of the U.S. So. Okay, um, may I start? Oh, sorry. Go, you, you. Yes, you may tell us your name and where, where you are. Okay, my name is Angelica. And I am in the south of Germany, close to the French border, uh, okay. on top of hills surrounded by lots of trees and lots of forest. Okay, thank you, Angelica. Go ahead, please. Um, this is the very first time that I have attended a uh, retreat oh. with all of you and with you. Yes, um, since we live so remotely and I am very um, engaged with family, children and my life I and I just could never make it 9,000 miles across the pond so I'm very <laughs> delighted but I what I wanted to share was um, we have a very open door house so I'm in one room and the other doors are open and in the last third of our meditation our huge dog came in and usually she comes up here and she demands with strongness and barking an extra cookie she did this too, and I thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? And I just continued um, a mindfulness of breathing, and I had to look twice at her, and she was just lying down and relaxed and waited until we were, we were finished. Okay. I must say, this is very unprecedented. This did never happen before. So <laughs> I thought this was a good start for a conversation, you know. That's fabulous. Yes. Thank you. You know, as many of you probably know that have animals, cats and dogs particularly, they like meditation. <laughs> they like to be in the uh, ambiance, in the presence of, of people meditating. Animals are very, very sensitive to energy. Uh, in a sense, way more than we are mostly. They relate on that level uh, way more than we usually do. And they like it, and they will uh, participate, so to say, 
Many of them, not all yeah. of them. Many of them will. It's quite common. So now you know when you what to do when you want your dog to calm down. <laughs> Thank you, Angelica. Thank you. Um, hello, Marcia. It's Mark Bluestein. Hi, Mark. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm in Creststone, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And my question is, <clears throat> I'm going to go on a solo retreat starting in November for three months. Oh. Um, and um, do, would you recommend bringing any type of books or suttas to study or just nothing, just do walking and sitting meditation? What is your feeling about good that? Good question. Uh-huh. Uh, a self-retreat is a good thing. Three months is a long time. Have you done such a thing before? Long, that long? Yes, I did a... I did a, well, I did a seven and a half month one um, semi-solo with my wife and I were a half a mile apart. Uh-huh. Okay. That's pretty solo. <laughs> Anyways, I would suggest if you have access to listening to uh, some Dhamma talks and maybe some guided sits, if you have access to that uh, during your self-retreat, and set up yourself, set up a schedule in some way, and mm -hmm. uh, maybe a couple times a week you listen to a Dhamma talk. Uh, pick and choose what you want. There are many, 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 many available uh, through Dharma yeah. Seed and also on the Mountain Hermitage website, and uh, uh, and and various teachers have their own uh, setups uh, of uh, recorded talks available. So. That would be really helpful for you to do a, a couple of times a week, at least maybe three times a week. And also some guided sits that uh, mm. will feed you in terms of the particular way that you're going to be practicing. Yeah, very helpful. Okay. All right, thank you. I'm, yeah, today's guided sit was wonderful. Good. It's a very good refresher. All right, good. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, this is Linda. Hi, Linda. And um, I'm in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I had um, two experiences. One was when we were doing the noticing, I forget the word already, but where the breath's coming in. So and out. I can feel it right where it's coming in. And going out, I don't feel it. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to, you know. And then I really appreciated at the end, when you shared, if you're having trouble with that, mm -hmm. of those four, I think I missed the second one, though. Um, but the part about breathing, to breathe in a way to tranquil, um, make, make the breath tranquil. Make your breath tranquil. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was very helpful. Good. I experienced that. It was, I relaxed mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't... Um, Put together before you know it was a different relaxation by having those different words good good i'm gonna say something about the out breath because the out breath for everybody is more subtle than the in breath always mm -hmm. the sensations are more subtle so if our concentration isn't really uh particularly well developed 
yet. Uh, it's, it is more difficult to uh, feel what the sensations are, the very subtle sensations of the out-breath. Um, is there anybody that might like to share what they experience with the out-breath? Just something simple, anybody who did experience some sensation with the out-breath? Don't be shy. Share your experience. It'll help Linda. Uh, Wesley, please. Yes. Um, with the out-breath, there's a warmth um, coming out in a softness. As yes. Well. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. What about the in-breath, Wesley? What did you feel? Uh, there can be more of a sharpness and it's an energizing uh, experience. Is there a temperature as well? Um, it's more cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Is that helpful, Linda? Yes. Okay. Anybody else want to share any of their experience with the, the actual direct sensorial experience with an in-breath or out-breath? Yes, please. Yes. This, Ravi. This is, this is Ravi from La Lama, New Mexico, about 25 miles north of Taos Plaza. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really appreciate these times in these teachings, Marcia, mm -hmm. very, very much. I noticed with my breath experience, um, similar to what was being said, I could feel a stronger sensation on the in-breath and then the out-breath was like a letting go, a mm -hmm. more allowing, relaxing feeling. What was the sensation on the in-breath? Can you name it? Can you verbalize it some way? Say what it was? Well, it started like a subtle pulling, okay. a subtle mm -hmm. sucking, if you will. Mm -hmm. But um, what, why I wanted to speak was that um, as I, I, I really was able to physically experienced more and more how you described it, I noticed my breath rate got faster. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to both be shallow, but it wasn't quite shallow. It, it was a new sensation for me because I think I let go and let go and let go of the breath and the, my mind said this is more like sleeping mm. kind of breath but I didn't feel sleepy I felt awake and yeah. present and yeah. comfortable I, I felt my skin disappear mm -hmm. um, and and that whole sensation of sort of floating in the presence mm -hmm. and I thought oh my gosh I'm, I must not be breathing correctly I'm oh dear you, you know going to so, so I must I, not be doing this right right so, so I experimented <laughs> and found no actually that the more I allowed the breath to do its thing which was logically different than what I expected yeah <laughs> the the more um it fell in line with how you were describing okay. some of those experiences in the Dhamma talk. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So a couple things I want to pick up on 
related to what you just said. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Um, expectation is uh, very detrimental. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not helpful. We all have them. Uh, but when you recognize that that's what you're, you're kind of holding onto, uh, recognize it. It's just a thought. It's a habit. It's an expectation based on the past. But if you keep clinging to it and sticking to it, you prevent your, your experience from, pre prevent yourself from actually knowing the actual experience in the present moment, whatever it might be. In this case, the breath being different than what you thought it should be or could be or has been. Mm -hmm. So the other uh, thing I wanted to just pick up on was when you said that uh, you felt uh, your skin kind of disappearing, your boundaries of body not so solid. You didn't say it that way, but that's what that means and often in how it's described and your feeling of floating those are those are experiences that people have as concentration starts to develop more deeply uh, the floating experience is a kind of pt this this polyword pt uh, it's one of the things that can happen with pt that shows up What's important with the, and the and the boundaries of the body can be uh, can disappear even more than what you experience. But yes, that is what what can happen. But uh, it's very very important to notice these experiences without uh, identification. And I'll just give some crude examples like, oh, wow, I'm doing great. This is really interesting. I like this. Uh, wow, something's really happening. Um, I must be a really good meditator. I'm being quite crude. And, but, you know, those, those secret thoughts do come up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, if we cling to the experience and we make something of it and we evaluate and we analyze and go on about it, what do you think is going to happen, Ravi? Um, it, it, it's it, it's just going out of the actual experience and into the whole mind machinations. The experiences will disappear. They will stop. Yes. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. will stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe more abruptly than and they, they would won't like. Develop, they won't develop it's just, a, it's a part of a process that's going on. So any atta attachment and identification and clinging will uh, stop the process up basically. And um, also if sometimes those ex experiences happen that are not so pleasant or frightening, a little bit scary, recognize that, but uh, Again, clinging to that will stop the process as well. We have to be able to allow and let it move through and go on. Thanks. We still have time. Thank you, Marcia, very much.
a little bit of time left. Anybody else want to? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, two people. Sila and Christine. Yeah. Hi, Masia. I just wanted to say, um, you know, I'm not used to doing uh, the concentration with the Anapanisata spot. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I haven't done it, or I should say I haven't done it in a long time. And so I was really kind of like interested in doing it again and trying it again. But what happens always to me is it gets so dry, right? right behind the um, the nostril, basically, that mm -hmm. it becomes so uncomfortable. And then this, this sense of like a real anxiety starts to develop. There's this, um, the discomfort becomes very sharp and there is almost a claustrophobic anxiety that develops around it. So what I then have to do is kind of like open up the, the aperture to relax around it and then I can go back in. So, so I keep doing that. Um, and I don't know if you have any advice on that. Yes, that's a, important. Uh, your particular experience is what it is, but when things become difficult and the mind starts, you, you, you started to feel fear. Anxiety is, is, is fear. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and it was, um, fairly sticky, fairly, mm -hmm. it, it was, it didn't just pop in and pop out. It was ongoing for uh, off and on, but ongoing. Yeah. And uh, so when that happens with this practice, if it sticks around the, 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 in this case, fear, uh, you need to do just what you did. People need to do just what you did. You need to open up and be mindful of the direct experience in this case of anxiety, of fear, and watch it. So you're bringing, you're 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 dropping out at least temporarily of the Anapanasati practice, and you're bringing in mindfulness practice with a little bit of investigation. So you're you're exploring what the experience is of the particular discomfort and. Uh, uh, in this case, fear and anxiety is, is going on and you need to take a look at it mindfully. So you're doing, basically you're, you're going into a little bit of Vipassana practice, mindfulness-based insight practice mm -hmm. with some investigation. And then when it, when it dissipates, the discomfort, the mind discomfort or bodily discomfort dissipates, usually they're both there at the same time connected I mean, one will inform the other. Um, when it dissipates or disappears, then go back to your Anapanasati practice. And I just wanted to mention that it's very important in this practice, the development of concentration, that you have a good base of mindfulness. You must really be able to be know how to practice mindfulness. I don't uh, take students, uh, for instance, I'm teaching a five-day retreat in November, a, a concentration retreat. I will not take students for that kind of a retreat uh, if they aren't fairly well-versed in mindfulness practice. It's very important. 
now to this this retreat these these uh mini retreats that we've just started uh today was open to anybody absolutely anybody because we're just beginning the exploration but to go further with it you really need to have a good mindfulness base so your description of what you did is helpful for all of us thank you christine yeah well it's now 12 30 <laughs> time flies when you're having a good time doesn't it <laughs> so it's time to end our mini retreat um i wanted to say two things before we close together one is that um this has all been recorded uh, and it will be up on the Mountain Hermitage website in a few days. I'm not sure exactly uh, when Kathy will get it up. Uh, Chris has to edit it first. <clears throat> and uh, she's in retreat right now, so she won't be able to edit it for another couple days. And then Kathy will be able to put it up on the website. So it will be available for you or anybody else uh, who might like to uh, uh use it uh, and uh, practice with it and listen to the talk and our discussion as well. Um, and each, uh, each of our mini retreats each month will be recorded. So they're of use anytime after, after we're done with our mini retreat. Um, the next mini retreat is in October. I, don't even know the date right now, but it's the last uh, the last Sunday of October, whatever that date is. And um, I hope you all come back. <laughs> there were some people that really wanted to come today, but for various, I think I said this at the beginning, they weren't able to. So some of those folks who were uh, hoping to be here, but it turned out weren't able to be here will probably also be here next week. So thank you all. Thank you all for your practice. Thank you all for being part of our mini retreat. And uh, I hope you have a good month of your life and your practice. And uh, look forward to the possibility of seeing you in October. Bye. Thank you, Marcia. You're very welcome. Thanks, Marcia. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. So many thank yous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.